I began a couple of weeks ago a series simply entitled, I Am, Who Is Jesus? What, what effect does he have in our life? You know, we, we think we know all about Jesus, but there's so much held within the character and the nature of who he is that if we don't really dive into the word, we'll miss so much of the great promises and the benefits of knowing Christ. And so we're sharing with these things, and we're walking through the book of John. He makes seven I am statements where he declares, first of all, to be God. And then secondly, he declares something about himself, a piece of his nature, a piece of who he is. The first week, we began with, with where he said, I am the bread of life. Uh, this morning in the first service, I had planned to do two of the statements. I didn't get through the first one, so... Uh, the second statement was, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I recommend that you get that uh, a podcast or that sermon, that CD, and get that in the, into your life. Uh, there were s- some things that God spoke through the revelation of his scripture today that I really believe will, will uh, impact you and help you as you walk through your life. So for the second service, so this is supposed to be part two today, and we were going to cover two of them. So the first service, we'll call it part 2A. And you'll get part 2B. Is that okay? If you're watching online, uh, welcome to Triumph this morning. I want you to get uh, settled in, get comfortable, get still and quiet. Wherever you are, at a hotel or your home or uh, at work, I want you to get ready to receive from God. I believe that He wants to do something in your life today. Open up your Bibles with me, if you will, to John the 8th chapter. John chapter 8, we pick up kind of at the conclusion of several chapters here, chapters 7, 8, and 9, where uh, some really important things are happening, and we're going to talk about it more, but we're just going to read one verse. I'm just going to read to you this morning really quickly, verse 1, and then we'll go from uh, verse 12 in chapter 8, and then we'll go from there and see what God says to us. If you're in John chapter 8, verse 12, will you say amen? Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Father, I thank you for your presence that's in this room today, for what you've already begun and the things you've yet to do. Lord, I know that you're a miracle worker, and I I know that you choose to be with us today, and you want to do things in our life. Lord, I pray that you would open our heart, our mind, and our spirit to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Lord, let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to be out last week. And um, I will also be out next week. I'll be in Mid-County next Sunday as well. Pastor Jim Kyles, our executive pastor from Sugarland, will be here. I'm confident that you will enjoy his ministry and he will do a great job. So today we're going to talk about part 2B, I am the light of the world. Well, to understand this statement, we first of all have to understand where Jesus is when he makes this statement. I look forward to the day when my wife and I have the opportunity to travel to the Holy Land, to go back to Jerusalem and the surrounding area where Jesus walked and taught and lived his life. Because there's so much written in this scripture 
uh, specifically in the book of John. The book of John was written mainly to uh, Jewish people. And so when you read the book of John, he makes statements that you and I, he, he assumes the reader understands, but because we live in a completely different culture, a different part of the world, a different time, we don't always get it. How do you know I'm talk, telling the truth right now? So I look forward to the day when I can go there and walk where Jesus walked and see the things that Jesus was pointing to, to stand where he was sitting when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, the most important uh, 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 message that was ever preached in the history of man. And so I look forward to this day, but it's not come yet. So I'm going to try to describe to you the importance of where Jesus was and why he was there, which is then going to expose to us the full breadth of why Jesus, when he said, I am the light of the world and the impact it made on the people who were listening. The where. In verse 2 of chapter 8, we'll get the where. Now, early in the morning, he, he's capitalized here, so he's referring to Jesus, came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. In verse number two, we see where Jesus is. Jesus is in the temple again. This word again is very important, because remember I said to you, chapter seven, eight, and nine flow together as one continuous... um, set of events that is taking place. So Jesus now, day after day, for about the last week, has been going to the temple, and he's been teaching, and he's been, uh, he's been talking to all the people gathered there and teaching them about the Word of God and about who he is. The temple was the centerpiece of Jewish culture in the day, and this is where we find Jesus. Why is he there? Why is it important that he was there again? Well, if we go back to chapter 7, and we look at John chapter 7, verse 2, we'll see why Jesus and so many people were there. You got my verse, guys? Are you following along with me? There we go. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. So it's the time of the year when the feast of tabernacles has come. Go to verse 10, verse, uh, 10 now. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Every year, God commanded in the Torah, or what you may know as the Pentateuch, as the first five books of the Bible, the books of law, God commands that all of the men of Israel present themselves to God referring to come to the temple to worship three times a year. Three major feasts. Now, they had other feasts and they had other celebrations, but three times a year, every man was required to come to the temple. The first was the Feast of the Passover. The Feast of the Passover is where they celebrated. You may remember when they were in Egypt and... and the angel passed over, and they, if they had blood on their door, he would literally pass over. It wouldn't take from them their firstborn son. So they call it the Feast of the Passover, where the Spirit literally passed over their home. This was the first feast. The second feast, you may know, is the Feast of Pentecost. This is where they, when the Bible says in Acts chapters 1 and 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Because now they're celebrating Pentecost. So then we get to the third feast. The third feast is called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. 
It's also been known as the Feast of Joy. Very important uh, because the other two feasts talked about atonement and they talked about redemption. But this was a celebration feast. This was a time of rejoicing. It was a fun time. Uh, It was a time where they celebrated the fall harvest and they would pray for rain, for future harvest. This was a wonderful time. They would come together at the temple for seven days plus one. For a total of eight days, they would celebrate this Feast of the Tabernacles or Feast of the Booths. They would make sacrifices every day, uh, actually multiple sacrifices throughout the day. Then they would have a water ritual, which is a very prophetic thing about Jesus in and of itself. Uh, And then one of the unique things about this specific uh, feast, the reason it's called Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths is because God required when they would come to celebrate this feast that all of the children of Israel would stay for the entire week and these small tents or these small booths called sukkots, sukkots in, in Hebrew. I've got a picture here. I want to show you what one might look like. This is what they would stay in. Now, it could be form, fashioned from anything you wanted to. Typically, they had three, two to three sides and a roof. Uh, This one only has two sides. Some of them were formed out of cloth. Some of them were very small. Some of them were larger. But you were to live here the entire week. You couldn't stay in your home. You had to live in this booth. So when you came to Israel, or excuse me, when you came into Jerusalem during this feast, you would see hundreds hundreds of these booths everywhere. They might be on the roof of a home. They might be out in the courtyard. They might be out in the pasture. But they had to stay In these booths, seems kind of strange, right? There's a why. The reason why is because God was reminding them that when you were in the wilderness, remember you used to live in tents. And you were out there in the wilderness. But but the whole point of this celebration is to remind you that even though you were in the wilderness, it was only temporary. But I brought you into the promised land just as I told you I would. Okay? So... They would celebrate now. They would remember their wandering and revival in the promised land. It it was a feast that brought assurance that God keeps His promises. They would also have a reminder. You'll remember in the book of Exodus, as they left out of Egypt, they were guided by a cloud by day and a fire by night. This fire is very important because it leads us to the next part of this feast. On the first day, at the conclusion of the sacrifices and the water ceremony, they would come down into the court of women. You can take the picture down for me, guys. Thank you. They would come down into the court of women. In the court of women, there were four gigantic candelabras. I searched and tried to find a good picture of this to show you, but I just couldn't find one that was fitting. But there were gigantic candelabras with ladders going up to each one. Each candelabra had four arms, one going each direction with a bowl on each arm. And the ladders and these these candelabras were 50 cubits high. You say, well, how high is a cubit? That, That could be a centimeter or that could be a mile. How high were these things? Well... A cubit is a a means of measuring in the Bible. A cubit went from the point of your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. So for a full-grown man, a cubit was somewhere around 18 inches. 
in that day. So when you, we, when you read about a cubit in the Bible, he's referring to about a foot and a half. Sound good? So get a picture of this now. You walk into the court of women, and then there are these huge lamps, these huge candelabras that stand about 75 foot high. They were massive. They would light these four, uh, these four lamps, each one having four bowls. So the, in the bowls, they would take old cloth, worn out cloth from the priests, and they would use them as a wick to light. They would light these up on the first evening of the feast. Is everybody with me today? They would light these up, and the Mishnah and, and the Talmud, which are the writings of the rabbis, all the, going all the way back to the days of Jesus, they tell us uh, that when they lit them up, nothing in Jerusalem was dark. They actually say that every single courtyard in all of Jerusalem was lit up as if it were day. These things were bright. You, you can see now that we're not just talking about one little lamp, one little candle that somebody lit. No, these were massive. And so the flames that would come off literally lit up the entire city. Now remember, pretty much the entire tribe of Israel has come to worship there at that time. So when it lights up, it is a reminder of the fire that led the entire tribe of Israel through the, through the wilderness. Now it's lighting up the entire tribe of Israel as a reminder of the light of God that will guide you and lead you to a place where He's promised that He would take you. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. You see, to understand what Jesus was saying, we have to understand the context to which he was saying it. They're celebrating. They would light these lamps and the party was on. The rest of the night on that first evening, they danced and they shouted and they played instruments and they sang songs and they had so much fun. They would begin to quote scriptures and repeat psalms. One of them was Psalm 27 and I want to read verse 1 to you. Psalm 27, actually I might read a couple of verses. Listen to this and you'll, you'll understand now why they were reading uh, this psalm as they're lighting this big light. Here's what he says. The Lord is my light in my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of all my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh? My enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me. My heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me, and this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek. One thing. You know what's coming. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. Why, where are they at when they're repeating this psalm? It's not a trick question. In the temple. Remember the lamps, they're lighting them and they're talking about the light of God and they're talking about how they want to live in His temple, they want to live in His presence, they want to live with this light shining above them all the days of their life. Well, all this is happening, all this is going on and suddenly in verse 12 of chapter 8, with this as a backdrop, as this celebration draws to a conclusion, Jesus stands up with the lamp still shining. And he says, I am the light of the world. They didn't think for a moment 
that he was referring to some little candle, some little campfire off in the woods. They are looking at this light. And they are hearing Jesus as he says, ego and me, I am. I am God. And I am the light. Oh, they didn't like this. Because what Jesus was saying was the same light, the same fire that guided you in the wilderness, that's what I am. I'm the one leading you and guiding you and taking you through. The same light uh, that you have been prophesying and speaking that would bring salvation to the world, that's me. I am the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies you've been reading and believing and crying out for. You see, they knew that these prophecies, these words were pointing to one day a man who would be the Messiah. And Jesus is declaring, I am he. This blows their mind. Many of them, uh, many of them were angry. Many of them were upset. Some of them were shocked. It blew their mind. You see, the, the light represented a few things. They're very important to us today. First of all, remember there were four lights and each one had four corners. The four lights represented that this light would shine to all the world. You've heard the phrase, the four corners of the earth. That's because, or one of the, when, when they built these lights with four corners on it, or four points, four arms, they were going back to that phrase to say there are four corners of the earth, and this light will reach to each one of those. So the light said, uh, this is, that, that the, this light, it symbolized it would be given to all the world through the Messiah. It represented the source of all substance and all living. And it was the light that gave them guidance through the darkness and the wilderness. So Jesus is declaring, I am this. And I am the Messiah that's not only going to give hope and light to the, to the Jewish people, to you. But I'm going to give light to the world. There were people that were literally there this whole time waiting for Jesus to show up, wondering if he would make a statement where he would declare to be God. And here he makes it, and it's a bold one. I am the light. There is not a different God that was a light in the Old Testament, and, I'm a, and I am now a new God. No, no, I am the same God that was there. I am here. Wow. I'm God. I'm going to save the entire world. I am the source of all substance and living. I am the assurance that every promise that I have given to you will be fulfilled. Just as I led your, your fathers through the wilderness into the promised land, I will lead you to everything that I've promised you. You will make it if you follow me. This is what Jesus is saying. He said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You're going to make it. Darkness causes things to be, appear vague. We, we see vague images, but we can't always see the true clarity that Christ wants us to see with. Jesus says, I'm the light that brings clarity to your life. I am the life that brings clarity to both your present situation and your future. I am the light of life. Light gives revelation, you see, as it provides guidance and truth and direction. It illuminates the truth, and it gives us the ability to see the reality as God sees it. We see things in life, but we don't always see them correctly. But when the light of God's truth shines, shines on a situation, on a piece of our life, on something going on, now we can see it as God intended. 
And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Thank you. Have you ever tried to walk in utter darkness? I don't know if you have or not. I'm sure you probably have at some point. I, we got a dog, as you know, about a year or so ago, and he's a good dog. I talk about him every now and then. His name is Marmaduke. And uh, we were told, and are still told, that he's a, a miniature Australian shepherd. When I thought miniature, I always had small dogs as a kid, or typically had small dogs. So I thought, you know, miniature. He's not. He's... <laughs> You know, he got dropped off. Here's a miniature Australian Shepherd. And I'm like, that thing is not miniature. He's got hair everywhere. He sheds like crazy. But he's a good dog. Well, sometimes at night, if it's raining or things, he gets really lazy. And he doesn't want to go outside and go to the restroom before it's bedtime. So this one night, we, uh, he, he, woke, he wakes up about 4 o'clock in the morning. And he is just whining. And he is whining. And he's got to go to the bathroom. And he's whining. And he's whining. And he's whining. And I just, I'm, you know, I've done the whole Quiet down, Marmaduke. <laughs> then I got a little meat, because you know it's the middle of the night, right? Nobody's nice at four o'clock in the morning. Marmaduke, shut up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Finally, you know, it's one of those deals, and I, my wife probably wouldn't admit to this, but you know, we're probably both awake and, and begging him to be quiet, and it's just who's going to hold out longer and act like they're asleep longer to get up and get him. So finally, I can't take it anymore. I get up, but I can't. I'm too asleep and too angry to find the light. So, you know, I've walked down this hallway and around the corner to let him out the back door a thousand times. So, uh, in, as you walk around out, out of the hallway into my living room, we had a, this big red chair and this small ottoman that went with it. I know it's there. It's always there. Just on the other side of that, there's the door and then there's this coffee table with a big sharp corner that holds our dish box and DVD player and all that stuff and so here I come and I'm just mad well you know walking in the dark it messes you up because you know you can't see you're, you're, you're feeling around you know and you're, you're, you're you know you're doing all this you have no depth perception so you think you've walked all the way down the hall you turn bam you walk into the wall y'all know what I'm talking about so I get all the way through, and I am just everything short of cursing Marmaduke right at this moment. I, I'm just trying to say, say, stay saved right now, okay, and, and, and remain a man of God in this moment. And as I make this corner, I know there's an ottoman coming up, and I know that there's a chair, but remember, my depth perception is all off. Suddenly, I kick it, and I start falling. But it's darkness, and so you don't know where you're falling to. And in my mind, I know that there's a corner. And I know the distance is just about right for my head. And I'm just praying and cursing Marmaduke all at the same time. <laughs> Jesus, help me because I'm going to kill this dog. And as I'm falling, and now, you know, you put your hands out and you think you're going to feel the ground. And then the ground never comes. And it's just like, so I'm like, ah, boom. And I crash and I go rolling over, kicking things. Did anybody get up and help me? No. No. <laughs> They're still playing asleep. And so in that moment is this just mixture of anger, embarrassment, frustration, pain, humiliation. I'm looking around and I'm about half upset that no one's checking on me. And then I'm about half glad because I don't want to be embarrassed and have to tell this story later. Fell flat on my face. Luckily... I'm sure by the grace of God, I just barely missed that corner. I don't know. 
But in my mind's eye, it was just like right there, you know, and I was just like bracing myself. <laughs> just knew. I let the dog out, and I believe I left him out all night. I was like, you're staying outside. I'm done with you. So every night after that, when it was time, I would always make sure and move the ottoman over into the center of the room so I had plenty of room to walk through. I was not going to repeat that mistake again. Walking in darkness messes with your eyes. It messes with depth, depth procession. It makes it hard to see, hard to walk, hard to move. So here's what Jesus is saying. I could have left you out there in the wilderness to wander and try to figure things out on your own, feeling around hoping that you were going to find the promised land. But Jesus said, no, I didn't do that for you. But I brought a light to you, a light to the nation, a light to the world to give you guidance and assurance that you're going to make it and you're not going to get stuck in the wilderness. You're not going to trip over an ottoman in the dark, but you're going to make it to the promised land. That's what Jesus is saying to us. You're going to make it through because I'm going to light up the world so that you can see clearly where to go. But remember in Psalm chapter 27, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Darkness brings fear with it. Now, as we grow up, we're, you know, we're not afraid of the dark anymore. But the truth is, darkness, the very nature of darkness, brings with it an element of fear. And we may be big enough to overcome it and no longer be afraid, but the truth is, this is the way it was done. This is the way that God set this whole thing up. Darkness brings an element of fear with it. So when he said, Jesus is the light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? I don't have to fear darkness because I have the light. When I was a kid, I, uh, of course, even now, I love to go deer hunting with my father. And we'd be walking through the woods, and you know, when you go out to the, this deer stand, it's usually dark pitch black, scary, you're four years old, you're walking through the woods, you're crunching on things, there are sounds everywhere, you heard all night before around the campfires, they're telling stories about this mountain lion that ate a deer right by your stand, and your dad's telling stories about how he heard this cat as it attacked a deer, and you're... It, it, and so everything that cracks and moves, and every bird is like, he's kidding me! But here's the thing. As long as my dad had that light, and I was close to him, I was okay. But you know, dad takes big steps, and I'm four, and so my father and I both have pretty long strides. So when you're a four-year-old, it takes about six of my strides to keep up with his one. And if I wasn't careful, I'd be way back there in the dark, and he's walking along in the light as if everything's okay. Why is everything okay for him? Because he's got the light. He didn't need to be scared. I'm in the darkness. <laughs> Daddy! Take off running, kicking things. Shh, you're scared off every deer in the country. There's only three here in East Texas, and you've scared them all off. <laughs> but as long as I was by my father who had that light, there was no fear. That's what Jesus is. Get close to me. I've got the light. There's no reason to be fear. There's no reason to be afraid. Of whom shall I fear when you're walking with the light? So this is a powerful statement that Jesus makes. It's a, an important statement that Jesus is making. Christ now is the antidote to fear. Well, I, I want to 
share with you a, a quick verse from Galatians and then one more verse from Matthew and we're going to close today. Are you doing all right this morning? In the book of Galatians chapter 1, on Wednesday nights we're studying this letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. We just finished part two this week. I pray that you would uh, join us on Wednesday nights as we dive deep into the Word of God. It's been really good to, to study what God is speaking to us. But there's a couple things that happen in Galatians uh, chapter 12 uh, and then in verse 16 where Paul writes to us that Christ revealed himself to Paul. Paul didn't get his revelation from a man, but he got it from Christ himself. I'm not going to go there. Just follow along with me. In verse 12, he says, Christ revealed himself to me. What is he referring to? He's referring back to Acts chapter 9, when Saul at that time was literally going down the road to Damascus, and a bright light shines out of heaven. Remember, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This light shines out of heaven and blinds Saul, speaks to Saul, says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you? And he, Jesus tells him who he is, and then he tells him, get your life right. I've got a purpose for you. Stop persecuting me. Stop persecuting my people. And he goes through this whole conversion of Paul in Acts chapter 9. It happened because the light of the world revealed himself to Paul. So Paul refers to this in, in verse 12, and he says, Christ revealed himself, or I got my revelation from Christ. So the first step in the process is the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is revealed to you. And when that light is revealed to you, it removes darkness, and you're able to see more clearly, and you're able to walk with God, and walk and walk in Christ, and have the light of the world. You'll have the assurance that you'll do whatever he's promised that you'll do, if you'll stay close to the light. You don't have to fear. But then in verse 16, Paul takes us to another step. And he, and he says, not only was he, was he revealed to me, but in verse 16 he says, then he was revealed in me so that I might preach the word. So the first step is that Christ reveals to us. The second step that he, that is that he reveals in us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now this is interesting, because in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But in Matthew chapter 5, the same Jesus says, you are the light of the world. How does this work? Paul got it right. He said, first, the light was revealed to me. But then, the light was revealed in me so that I could preach the word and others might know the light of the world. You see, the light's not supposed to stop with you. You're supposed to be a lens by which that light can shine into you and then be spread out to touch the world. Don't cover it up. Jesus said, "Don't." it's not made to be lit and then put under a basket so no one can see it, so no one can reap the benefits of it. The, the light that is in you, the assurance that is in you, is not just for you to cover up. The assurance that is in you is for you to spread it out and take it into dark places in the world. What are you taking? You're taking the light of Jesus Christ. 
So when you live your life and you go into your jobs and your homes and your families and you, and you live your life in this world, uh, the whole plan of Jesus was that he would reveal his light to you so that then he could reveal it in you and you would reflect him into the world. That you could give to others the same assurance that he gave to you. That if God promised he would do it, you can be assured he will do it for you. If he said he would lead you through, he'll lead you through. If he said he would save you, he'll save you. If he said he'd give you hope in a future, he'll give you a hope in a future. He said these things to us. He said if you would follow me, I would guide you. So hey, listen, stay close to me because in me is the light of Jesus Christ. And through me, that same light is going to reveal itself to you and then in you so that you can reveal it to someone else. Jesus says to us in Matthew, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. They may see your life. They may see the promises come to pass in you. And who are they going to glorify? Not you, your father in heaven. Make sure that you're living a life where the light of Jesus that has been revealed to you so shines before men that through your life, your Father is glorified. You can close your Bibles this morning. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I want you to know a few things today. You don't have to walk in darkness. Darkness represents confusion. Darkness represents ignorance, a a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge, a, a lack of knowing. You don't have to walk that way. But you can walk in the light of Jesus Christ. You don't have to walk in fear. Worrying about tomorrow. Fearful about if this is going to happen or if that is going to happen, but you can walk in assurance that God will lead you through. Think about the fear that the disciples could, or excuse me, the Israelites could have known as they were out there in the wilderness, wandering for 40 years, seemingly lost. But there was a light, so they didn't have to fear. You have a light, you don't have to fear. If you're struggling with fear today, I want to speak a word to you that Christ is the antidote for fear in your life. Are you waiting on your promises to be fulfilled? Are you waiting on God's word to come to pass for you? Are you waiting for things to happen? It seems like it's been a while. It seems like it's taking some time. It seems like it's confusion. Uh, Just know this. That just like those lamps reminded the children of Israel that God said, I'll take you into the promised land. And he did. Whatever God promised you, you stay close to the light and he'll lead you there. Finally, I want to ask you this question. Has Christ revealed himself to you this morning? Has he revealed himself to you in your life? Do you know the light of Jesus? When he said, I am the light of the world, do you know him as your light, as your salvation, as your guide? 
do you know him? And then secondly, is he being revealed in you and through you? When you leave, do you come here and worship Jesus and know his, the revelation of his light and who he is? But when you leave here, you put it back under, we used to sing, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. What kind of life are you leading when you walk out these four walls? What kind of life are you living? What kind of light are you allowing to shine that Christ might be revealed to the people in your life, the people in your world? I want to pray for you today. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for some of these things really quickly. Our pastors and elders are coming now. And then these altars are going to be open. If you're going through things and you're needing God to come through for you, we want to pray with you. We want to join our faith with yours. The word today was, there is no God like Jehovah. He is your light. Let him shine in your life. These altars are going to be open here in a few moments. If you're struggling with fear, doubt, a lack of understanding, everything seems vague in your present situation and in your future. It's cloudy. You can't fully see. Let the light of Christ shine and bring clarity to that situation. These altars are going to be open here in just a moment. Father, I thank you for the word that you've spoken. I thank you that you are the light of the world. And as you have revealed yourself on that day and even today, you are giving clarity. You are giving salvation. You are giving deliverance and a promise that you will take us through and do everything that you've promised you would do in our lives. Thank you for that assurance today. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to fear. We'll stay close to the light. Your son, Jesus, is the antidote for fear in our life. I thank you for that, Jesus. Let all fear pass away. Father, for those of us who don't know you, Reveal yourself to us like you did to Paul on the side of the road. Father, reveal yourself to us. And then give us the strength and the courage to allow our light to so shine before men that you might be glorified. That people would see what you've done in us and they would want to know you. I thank you for it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.